The following is presented by Maranatha Bible Church of Comstock Park, Michigan. For more information, go to mbcmi.org. Uh, so if you look at your, your handout, we'll uh, just finish up the biblical view on war. Um, Jason did a wonderful job last week. Um, just, uh, you know, very thankful that I accidentally picked somebody who knew about the topic. So that's fantastic. Um, and that was really, really helpful. So do you guys have any questions before we kind of just finish it up quick? Because I, we can move on to the next topic. Anything burning in your desires to know? The biblical view on war there. Um, the responsibility of the government to restrain evil and to punish those who do evil. So you understand the purpose of the government, but at the same time you understand that no government is perfect. Um, and then the uh, just the bottom paragraph there on your on the page it says if a government is commanded by God to protect its citizens from a robber or a thief who comes from within a country then certainly it's also an obligation to protect its citizens against thousands of murderers or thieves who come in who come as an army from somewhere outside of the nation therefore a nation has a moral obligation to defend itself against foreign attackers who would come to kill and subjugate the people of the nation right. And so, biblically speaking, you know, we we do see that in Scripture. Um, and, I, you know, I oftentimes hear, you know, as far as having, like, boundaries and owning property, like, you realize all of that was instituted by God. Like, there were boundaries to nations. Like, God literally set boundaries to nations. You can read through what he gave Israel uh, specifically. Um, and then you see it even in the New Testament, the owning of property, um, you know, as the... Uh, people came and sold their things, sold their land, and gave it to the to the church. Um, so owning property, so those things are all good, and so that means since we own those things, that we have a we can defend those things as well. Um, but just some of the contemporary issues, there there are more of these, but just some highlights, especially what we go through today. Uh, you know, terrorism and guerrilla warfare. Um, really, that that goes against the non-combatant immunity, like terrorism and guerrilla. Warfare seek to involve civilians, and so we need to make sure that we are not um, going after them by any means necessary, but that we would also uh, make sure that we protect citizens to the best of our ability. As we said last week, unfortunately, there's always going to be civilians who are casualties in war, um, but we have to make sure that we're doing the best we can um, uh, to minimize that. And then just the bolded part, the principles of just war teaches that wars of aggression and aggrandizement are never acceptable. So aggression or trying to, trying to get stuff, right? Um, that's not, a, that's not an acceptable reason for war. And wars may not legitimately be fought for national glory, to avenge past wrongs, for territorial gain, or for any other non-defensive purpose. So that'd be part of the just war, uh, theory. Uh, I talked a little about nuclear weapons, use of nuclear weapons. Um, once again, there's you know pretty much three three thoughts on nuclear weapons. One, they're great, use them. Two, nobody should have them, um, uh, even for you know even to scare somebody off. And then uh, the other one is yeah, you should have them, but never use them. Um, and uh, obviously, there's a lot of countries that have a lot of nuclear weapons that are out there. And uh, that's when I that's what I worked with when I was in the army, nuclear, biological, and chemical warfare. And um, so there are a lot of silos buried under a lot of earth that have a lot of uh, nuclear weapons in them. 
And uh, at least the last time I knew, there, don't worry, the Air Force was guarding them with keys, so everything's <laughs> going to be fine. Um, it takes two of them anyway, right, to turn a key. But um, uh, but that, you know, a lot of people, and this is just obviously, you know, um, uh, just cursory thought of, you read Revelation and a lot of the stuff you read about the end of times in Revelation seems a lot like a nuclear war that's coming that perhaps John saw, right? He couldn't describe it as a nuclear war because such things hadn't been discovered yet. Um, but perhaps that's what's coming. Who knows? Uh, and then, you know, you see, um, that, that's why they're called, you look at the last bullet point under nuclear weapons. Nuclear weapons destroy everything in a large radius, depending on the size of the bomb. So that's why they're called weapons of mass destruction, right? So they just take everything out. And then the, uh, the downside, obviously, of nuclear weapons is then you have radiation that's there as well. And so then after the, uh, the bomb explodes, then that, place and areas can be uninhabitable for a long time depending on you know the use of the of the nuclear weapon that was there do you have a question kind of just related to war overall i've been reading through the old testament and i guess um when you how do you think through like it seems like the ethics of war was quite different back in the old testament um based on you know just god taking the israelites through all these lands and conquering them and like just wiping out Mm. these nations and things like it's really hard sometimes to hear that language and like now I'm just I understand that they were the chosen people and like you're trying to get them to you're trying to get them to their promised land but how do you kind of work through that knowing that like they were literally plundering to take over the land yeah um, and it seems like everything we're learning about the ethics of war that's exactly what we're not supposed to be doing yeah yeah so the question was how do you basically how do you look at the Old Testament and the war that was in the Old Testament versus what we're reading about here today seems contradictory. Um, so, first of all, context is king, right? Um, so, Israel was a theocracy. And so, God was controlling Israel. Israel was God's, um, we'll say, arm of judgment that he used. So, if you remember back uh, what God told Abraham, where he said, I'm giving you this land, but the we're waiting for the sin of the Canaanites to be fulfilled, right? So judgment was coming upon them, and that was 400, 420 years after that. And so God gave them that people or that land um, 400 years, and he used the nation of Israel as a means of judgment against them, right? And so... We don't see that today because we have no theocracy today. There is not a a, uh, a nation that is ruled by God. Um, we see some loose variations of monarchs and democracies and kingdoms and these kind of things. Um, but God is not sovereignly controlling a kingdom anymore. And so he went in, uh, he used them to judge the people. And so that was God's purpose he hasn't changed, but the method of how he's relating to people with the progress of Revelation certainly has, right? Um, and so that's why in the Old Testament, God used Israel, but we don't see that today. And you actually see it tapering off as well, right? Like um, when they wanted a king, and they had Saul, and then they had David, and then Solomon, and so peace came, and they started to extend the borders that were there, and then all of a sudden judgment came upon Israel. And then God used the neighboring nations to come and bring judgment upon Israel. So that's how God worked in the Old Testament um, as he was in control of what was going on, right? So we don't have that today. There isn't a nation on the earth. Um, now, very careful because we don't want to part God out. God is in control of all the nations on the earth. But there's not a specific nation that is the 
um, the extension of God's judgment um, that he's using. So you've seen people try to do that, right? You've seen um, as, uh, who was it that went westward, Brigham Young or, or um, the Mormon, Joseph Smith, they thought that they were going to conquer the land in Utah, and so that's why you see all the names, uh, or a lot of the names in the city of Utah are named after biblical names, because they believe God gave them that. If you ever look at the history of Mormonism, there is a wake of death in their path as they murdered people along the way, right? And uh, and so they believe that they were doing what God called them to do. They believe they were a, kind of a New Testament version of Old Testament Israel, right? But we don't see that anywhere. Um, we have a, the church now has a, as the going out and sharing the gospel uh, mentality. So, anybody else? We'll move on. Uh, next one: women in combat. So we're not talking about women in the military. Women have always played prominent roles in the military, whether it be administrative support, um, various uh, hospitals, and nursing, and all that kind of thing. The United States is unique because they do not have women in combat, um, while uh, you know, you can read on there that you know recently they've they've uh, opened avenues for such things, but um, really in the grand scheme of things, uh, mostly men who are in combat. There are other countries who have women in combat, um, and so it's not uh, it's not um, you know it's not uh, an anomaly, but uh, it's certainly you know with us here in the United States, we do women fulfill tons of jobs in the military. Um, we just don't have them uh, in combat, and, and I like what is said. Um, it's by the uh, uh, Grudem there, and he says, I believe that the historical position of the U.S. was correct and that it is wrong to send women into combat. The biblical argument for this position is expressed well in the ESV Study Bible on war, and it says most nations throughout history and most Christians in every age have held that fighting in combat is a responsibility that should fall only to men, and that is contrary to the very idea of womanhood and shameful for a nation to have women risk their lives in com- as combatants in a war. The assumption that not only men and women that not only men that only men and not women will fight in a battle is also a frequent pattern in the historical narratives and affirmed by leaders and prophets in the Old Testament. Right, and then the last sentence there, but God's word continually shows that it was considered shameful for men to depend upon women to protect the nation in war. That is a task that was consistently entrusted to men. Right? It doesn't mean women can't fight. Right? We see that in the in the Old Testament, right? Women can stab big men in the stomach, right? And um, you know they they can fight, um, but or in the head, right? Um, but uh, but as far as like biblically speaking, there's some verses there you can reference. Uh, as far as having women in combat, uh, we'd say the Bible doesn't align with that, right? Any questions? War, yeah. What do you mean? Um, did Deborah Lee, yeah, she, I don't, I, don't remember, I know it in the judges, yeah, but it also said that there was no man to be found, so it's actually shameful for the nation of Israel that God raised up a woman. So that's, uh, that's a massive anomaly, not the norm at all. So 99.9% of the time through scripture, you would see men taking on that role. And scripture actually addresses when women step up to that role, it's shameful for the men. And so, um, that's a, that would be a, a, a good, exhortation for men not to be lazy uh, but to actually do the work that God's called them to do. I think I'd also add that 
sometimes when women do step into that role, men get lazy because they don't have to step into that. Yeah, she said when women do step into that role, then men uh, do get lazy because then they don't have to do it, right? And so the initiative being taken by men to step into the roles that God's given them throughout Scripture so that women can then take on the roles that God's given them to do as well. So it's a good point. Yeah. Uh, I guess semantically, the range would be acceptable to say invasion because you're being invaded as long as you're not, you know, as long as you're not capitulating to the rhetoric that's out there that all of these people are coming to take over our country, which may be true, but we just don't know it, right? Um, and so you don't want to pass on lies. Um, but, you know, the word in, to invade something, you know, I'm not old enough for this, but I've read about the Beatles invasion, right? Um, and... Uh, so you would say like the music is invading or the people are invading. So it's a, I mean, it's within the range of acceptable use. But I think unfortunately, when people use that word, they're actually thinking military or tactically or something like that. So I think we should need to be careful with the words that we use. Um, but I, I think within the definition of the word, it would be perfectly fine, yeah, to say that. All right. Christianity and artificial intelligence. <laughs> so this whole thing was put together by AI for me. No, I'm, I'm only kidding. Um, it told me what to say, and I think it's right. So, um, so I think first of all, as we talk about artificial intelligence, um, many people have a fear, right? And it's fascinating to me um, because uh, we the Bible says to fear God, right? Not to fear something man-made by any stretch of the imagination. And I'm certainly not a subject matter expert on this. Um, in fact, I, I, I actually go the other way. Not a massive fan of various technologies. I like my old truck that doesn't have any fancy stuff in it. You can't talk to it. Um, and uh, it certainly doesn't talk back. So, uh, But it is coming, right? Um, so I just want to define it a little bit. Like what is artificial intelligence? You can see I just pulled these off of some, some tech websites. There are various degrees of definitions for what it is, but just generally speaking, artificial intelligence involves using computers to do things that traditionally require human intelligence, right? So that's just a basic understanding of even the title, artificial. So it's not human-based intelligence, it's artificial. And so then it's saying there, artificial intelligence is the science of making machines that can think like humans. It can do things that are considered smart. So when you hear that, right, think like humans, you know, some people get excited, because they're definitely more in the evolutionist camp. When we say think like humans, what is the machine missing? Soul. soul. Thank you. I was hoping somebody would say soul. <laughs> it's missing a soul, right? So it cannot ever think like a human. Ever. It is impossible. You might say, oh, it's it's becoming more feelings-oriented. It's making decisions based on feelings. And it may be true to, to some degree, but it doesn't have a soul, Right? You're not going to preach the gospel to a machine. Your Siri on your phone's not going to get saved because you preach the gospel to it enough, even though it empathizes with you, right? So we have to remember that in the grand scheme of things, you cannot, man cannot implant a soul into a computer, right? So just keep that in mind as we go through this. And keep that in mind when you call your artificial intelligent devices by some sort of gendered name. Let me just ask her. It's not a her, 
It's a thing. You you can say, let me ask that her voice, that feminine voice, because maybe that's what it sounds like, right? So I think in our own minds we have to be clear than saying, let me just ask him real quick, and then you ask your Amazon thing or whatever other things are out there you, that are listening to you, right? So you can ask those, but just don't refer to them as human, right? Um, so how does it work? It's really simple, actually. Oftentimes they refer to AI as simply a component of the technology as machine learning. And there's various degrees of machine learning, very you know rudimentary learning, all the way down to what they call deep learning, which is like gathering as much about human intelligence as possible so that you can have a sentient being, right? a being that has, has feeling behind it. And uh, it says AI requires a foundation of specialized hardware and software for writing and training machine learning algorithms. And that's really the key behind all of artificial intelligence is the algorithm. And you see there, the next one, in general, AI systems work by ingesting large amounts of labeled training data. Like that's just a fancy way of saying they're getting as much information about people as they can and they're labeling it. And, and environment too, not just people, right? Um, and labeling it such way, and as they label it, it goes into a certain area or component of whatever that artificial intelligence is, so that it can start comparing all the data and come out with something that we want from it. That's what an algorithm does. So and it says there it's looking for correlations and patterns, using these patterns to make predictions about future states. AI programming focuses on cognitive skills that include the following, learning. So the aspect of AI programming focuses on acquiring data, creating rules for how you turn that into actionable information. So what does that mean in layman's terms? You go to the store and you've got your frequent buyer card, which I don't use, but you may have one, and you scan that thing. When you scan it, it goes into your name, your data, that you just bought, whatever that is. You buy that a couple times... All of a sudden, in your mailbox, you get a coupon for that thing. And you're like, oh, lucky day. How did they know? Because they're taking the data that you're freely giving them, putting it into an algorithm, storing it somewhere with trillions and trillions of other people's data, or trillions and trillions of pieces of data from other people. And they're putting it together and saying, this guy or this girl buys this item. And then, if they're really sophisticated, they'll know that once a month you actually run out of it. And then you're going back once a month. Or they know the average person goes back once a month. And so, lo and behold, you get that coupon on your way out the door. And you're like, praise the Lord, it's my lucky day, I saved 50 cents. <laughs> has nothing to do with luck. It has to do with your being tracked by the purchases that you make. right? Um, and on a side note, the police can look at those. Because we got a phone call once I bought a tool. And that tool, not my tool, was used in a robbery. And so the police called my wife and said, we see that you swiped your card at this place to buy this tool, and that tool was used. And uh, the, you know, and she said, you can call my husband, but he doesn't answer the phone when he doesn't know the number. And uh, so the sheriff left, uh, the Kent County Sheriff, it was Kent County, right, left, uh, left a message, and I called him back, and he said, hey, we saw that this tool that you purchased was used between these dates. Where were you? I said, well, thankfully, using that tool in front of people, not whatever it is that you're accusing or thinking to accuse me of. So, yeah, even the police have information to everything that you buy so that they can plug it into an algorithm, right? And so they say, this tool was used in a crime. How many people bought this in the last 90 days? This arbitrary number. And my name popped up. And I said, I'm done ever scanning any cards anywhere ever again. So I don't. 
you can keep your bonuses for all your frequent flyers. I'm done, right? Um, my wife does, though, so I don't know if that counts. But, um, <laughs> she likes saving 50 cents on peanut butter. But, um, you like it, too. So, yeah. Fair enough. So the learning aspect. You have the reasoning aspect. Focus on choosing the right algorithm to reach a desired income. If they want you to keep coming back to shop or to buy or to utilize their facilities, whatever that is, that's an algorithm that a man sits back, he puts together, and as that information comes, it starts sorting out the information that's coming. And as it's sorting out, it's reasoning, okay, this has to go here because we see these metrics. We see this is food, so we're going to put it here. We see that it's food that traditionally is bought every three days or every five days or every three weeks, so it's going to be put here. So it starts reasoning where it goes. Now, don't think reasoning like this thing is alive. It's programmed. That's really what I'm hoping to get through to you. It's not like this thing is sitting back thinking, okay, where do I put this? It's done instantaneously because of an algorithm that's there. Self-correction, the aspect of AI programming is designed to continually fine-tune algorithms to ensure they provide the most accurate results possible. You ever type in a an address into your Google Maps or Waze or whatever you use, and you're driving down the road and it says, we have found a route that's shorter or faster because there's an accident up here? Bam, you just got self-corrected by AI. Because it was looking ahead, it was listening to police scanners or whatever other information is put in. You know, they have a billion different traffic cameras that are up there. And so they're looking at everything all the time. And then Google's also plugged into whatever they allow them to be plugged into or your Apple Maps, whatever you use. And now all of a sudden you're like, oh, this is great. I'm glad I didn't have to sit there and wait an extra 20 minutes. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying that's just how it works. Right, So that map knows, just think about it for a minute, right? The map on your phone knows where you are, knows where you're going, and knows how you're going to get there. I mean, what could go wrong, right? Um, So then you also have creativity. The aspect of AI uses neural networks, rules-based systems, statistical methods, and other AI techniques to generate new images, new text, new music, and new ideas. So you get on your YouTube playlist, and you got all your favorite country songs on there. All of a sudden... More songs start popping up that are just like that. Well, I'm going to try that. That seems nice. Or all of a sudden you start getting uh, more coupons in the mail that are similar to the foods that you're buying, but not exactly the foods that you're buying. And you decide, I'm going to step out of my comfort zone and I'm going to buy this instead. Well, you just got created or creativity from an AI that's saying, I'm putting together this information and I see that this family buys this and 90% of the same. This family buys this and 90% of the same. They may actually like to cross over a little bit. And so maybe that brand or that manufacturer is giving money to that guy writing the algorithm to say, hey, look for people who are buying this. If they're buying this, send them a coupon from us on this side because we're it's pretty similar, but we'll get their money coming to our company instead of to the company that they usually buy it from. You yeah. Just attach the word creativity to AI. Right. Do you mean that? No. No, these are all human things. That's what, yeah, and that's a great point. So no, it's not creative. I'm sorry. Like there's there is there is nothing human about this, okay? People think that they are, and we'll get into the weirdness in just a minute. Um, people think that there is, you know, humanness there and, and compatibility and, and uh, these kind of things. But please, please understand, no matter how great, you know, how matter how much Siri says she loves you or Alexa <laughs> sings to you at night and all of these things, it's a computer program. Did you know, here's a side note, <laughs> 
Did you know how many fires were started or are started now? It's it's crazy because people sleep with their devices because they'll talk to them when they sleep, and so the thing overheats and it started fires in people's bedrooms. I don't know the frequency of them, but I'm thinking like, when do you get to that point, right? Like, but in any event, um, I didn't. That's not in the notes. So I just thought I'd tell you that. Um, so, how is it used in everyday life? Once again, uh, this is just taken from this website here. Um, just some ways that we can see this as it daily plays out in our lives. You know, personal assistance. I'm talking about Siri, Google Assistant, Amazon Alexa, integrating the smartphone, smart speakers, other devices that can perform a wide range of tasks from setting reminders, setting messages, sending messages to playing music and controlling smart home devices. Like, you can pretty much have your entire life run off of just saying, hey, whatever it is. That's it. You can get your groceries ordered. I mean, they have, they have uh, what, refrigerators that are hooked up to Amazon, right? And so it can see when you need something, and you can actually set it up to order for you when they see that that thing is getting low. Like, that's insane. And I just wonder, what do people do with all of their time? They sit on their phones, right? <laughs> Yes, and they send you more news stories and you get addicted to them, right? So all of the things that used to take days and weeks to accomplish can now be accomplished from just a phone. That's it. Like your entire life. You can order food, you can do your job, you can talk to your friends, you can order your groceries, you can buy a car, you can buy a house, right? You can you can schedule people to come in and do work on your house. You can schedule to come to your somebody to come to your home to work on your car. Like you never have to leave the home. Have anybody ever read Fahrenheit four five one? Yeah, similar to you never have to leave your home. Um, social media, social media sites utilize AI, and this is just, so. This is not my definition. Just so you guys understand, this is coming straight from the the website down there at the bottom. So when they say this definition, don't think while Bob believes or doesn't believe this. I'm just giving you the information that's out there. So it says AI, social media uses AI to examine user preferences and behavior, suggest pertinent material, and customize user experience. And here's what's great. Moreover, bogus news, hate speech, and other harmful content are found and eliminated thanks to an AI system. Somebody's got to decide. Somebody's got to decide, right? Somebody's got to sit in the back and type in, this is hate speech. And then, for instance, there's some meta uses and Instagram, TikTok, and those kind of things. So, customer service. Remember, there's always a man behind the curtain. That's uh, it's Wizard of Oz, for those of you who don't know. Okay. Um, so, businesses are increasingly using virtual assistants and chatbots powered by AI to offer 24 by 7 customer service. And I'd say the, the chatbot things actually work out pretty well. We use them, and um, that way you don't have to talk to anybody. <laughs> Just use chatbot. Um and so you see some examples there. Healthcare applications of artificial intelligence in healthcare include patient monitoring, medication research, uh, medical imaging, all these kind of things, right? You can, you know, some of you may have wearable healthcare devices that link up or sync up to a phone or to an app, which then your doctor can read in real time. Um, and so that's what he's talking about AI. It's taking the necessary data. Right, so it's it's not human intelligence; it's artificial intelligence. It's taking the data that the doctor requests, and it's taking that data and it's putting it into specific categories so that a doctor can either monitor, or read, or whatever it is that they have to do with that data. Right? Uh, e-commerce. Uh, and we talked about this. You get recommendation by e-commerce sites. 
you know, if you if you search something on Google and it just it'll just come up. And a lot of times, if you speak about something in near proximity to anything that listens to you, all of a sudden the ads start popping up that you you want whatever it is you were talking about, right? Um, autonomous vehicles in Grand Rapids, they started these in 2021. I think it's like a three and a half block or three and a half mile radius. I forget what it was. But uh, they have autonomous vehicles. And I did read it. I, did, I didn't read in depth on it, but I did read that in Michigan. And I, I don't know if this is fully true, so don't quote me. But there has to be like a licensed driver in the car and of an autonomous vehicle or something like that. Um, but there doesn't have to be an actual person driving the vehicle. Um, I don't know if that's changed or not, but um, so in Grand Rapids, you can see them. They just drive in a, a square. I think it's three and a half blocks or something. I forget what it was, um, but we had those, and they're all over the place um, around the world or around the United States. And it says, for instance, Tesla uses AI to power its self-driving cars, which can navigate roads, highways, parking lots without human intervention. For those of you who can't parallel park, there's cars that do it for you as well, apparently. Um, you have smart home devices like we talked about. Your whole house can be ran. You want to, you know, even here at church, right? We have the app that turns the heat up and down. I don't have it on my phone. I, I, uh, I am very much against having that. So I made Todd and Matt have it. Um, and uh, so from Todd's phone, he can actually control the heat at the carpenter's house too, which is really funny. Um, but uh, so if Brian or Brenda ever do anything, just go and ask Todd. Jack the heat up for him. Um, Yeah, so that's a good question. What's the difference between artificial intelligence when it comes to your thermostat and just being on the network? Um, so the difference would be it would be making decisions for you. So like the, once again, I'm not well-versed in these, but um, like the one Nest or something, you turn, right? And so those, um, I remember in some of the houses I, I used to work in, it would be if nobody walked past it within like a three-hour, you could set it, and then so the temperature would automatically drop because they would know that nobody was home. Um, and so that would be artificial intelligence. So it's saying uh, the it's now don't take this as it's human, right? But now it knows that nobody's there, so it's decided to turn it down. Basically, somebody set the parameters that if nobody walks past this thing in three hours, then nobody's home. So it's in a prominent place in the house, right? Um, so the difference would be if I have an app on my phone that I can just control it without it doing anything. That wouldn't necessarily be artificial intelligence. That would just be allowing someone to monitor your your moves. So, um, and so some advantages and disadvantages. Advantages of AI: good at detail-oriented jobs, right? You can program a computer to do the exact same thing the exact same way as many times as it needs to be done, right? If it has to take a piece of sheet metal and punch out something at the exact same size down to the the very 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 smallest detail, you don't have to worry about anything, right? As long as it's programmed correctly, obviously assuming all things are normal and it's running and all of that, it just does it, right? Um, it's proven to be just as good, if not better, than doctors at diagnosing certain cancers, including breast cancer and melanoma. One of the reasons is it just takes in all of the information, right? And it can see all of the information, and it comes to a conclusion, whether right or wrong. It's, it's coming to a conclusion where a doctor may only have uh, studied a book or several books in a, in a very uh, specific area, AI would have the entire, the entirety of medicine covered. And so it can search outside of the box when you put in the parameters or you put in the symptoms, right? I wouldn't recommend doing that like on WebMD because you usually come back with death certain, um, you know, when it's just like you're dehydrated, <laughs> but it says, you know, you're dying soon. Um, but uh, so it, it does, it, it is helpful in those areas. 
Um, you can also see reduced time for data-heavy tasks, a lot of data processing or order processing it can do because it doesn't get tired, right? It doesn't have to take a half-hour break every four hours or whatever the law is. Um, saves labor and increases productivity. Once again, an example here is the use of warehouse automation. We have warehouses that are just fully automated, right? Like for Amazon and other ones, they're only there. There's nobody there, like physically working. It's just it's just things on tracks or whatever that are just doing what they're told to do. Um, and then you see delivers consistent results. Once again, high levels of consistency um, can improve customer satisfaction through personalization. That one's up in the air, but uh, you know it. It, uh, it takes all of those things that you you read online, that you Google online, that you buy online. All of those things. I hope you understand. Everything you do online is recorded and stored as data. Everything. You post a picture online, it never goes away. You can delete it all you want. You can blow up your computer. It will always be stored somewhere. There is nothing, there's no content that you put out into, uh, onto the, onto the internet, um, that isn't stored forever, right? And so, and that content, when you're logged in somewhere and you're registered somewhere and you're using it, it then finds you and it puts that into your column. And it doesn't take days, it takes literally seconds perhaps. Because that's how the algorithm is always working. You realize that AI needs something very, very important in order for it to work properly. It needs information. And so it is always gathering information. Right? And what has been fascinating, as, as I've researched, this is actually from a while ago I read, how many criminals have been caught because of tourist pictures being posted on Facebook and Instagram? So you know what that means. That means that when you post a picture on Facebook or Instagram, the FBI, CIA, Interpol, all facial recognition is running through that. And they actually catch people who are in the background of somebody's picture, you know, you're taking your picture in front of the, you know, leaning tower of pizza or whatever it is, right? And uh, I just want to see if you guys are listening. And uh, there's a criminal in the background, and he's, uh, he's looking at the camera or whatever the, you know, the facial recognition needs, all of a sudden, his his picture pops up that he's there right by this monument, and so they go and they arrest him. And so, you know, depending on how you think about privacy and posting things, completely up to you. It's your choice, but that's what's happening right now as we speak. And it's probably even better than that. They only let us know the the uh, you know the things that they that we need to know. Um, disadvantages are the other one is virtual agents are always available, right? Uh, Disadvantages of AI, it's very, very expensive, right? It's a, it's a tool that if you wanted to use for your business, um, in a, in whatever capacity, it, it does cost money. Um, requires deep technical expertise, like if you were to set up yourself running algorithms, getting the data that you need, you have to find a source for that data, and then finding that source doesn't mean it's actually gonna run, right? You have to find the right source. So if you're trying to aim something at a specific person or a specific people group, that data has to be coming from somewhere. And so then market research says that this data is coming from here. So it is a, a long process um, that can actually get somebody set up into it and become very, very expensive. Um, limited supply of qualified workers to build AI tools um, reflects the bias of its training, training data at scale. This is very, very important. Since everything is, and I'll give you an example of this at the end, since every everything is programmed by an individual, I hope you realize that that programmed machine is subjected to the fallen heart of the man or woman programming it, right? So 
We would say a machine in and of itself is neutral, right? Because it doesn't have a soul. Remember we said at the beginning. But the programmer of the machine is anything but neutral. Whether good or bad, doesn't matter, right? So they're anything but neutral. They have a bias as they are programming it. And because, as Todd Sermon rightfully said, people will deny that bias, which is why you can have an algorithm that finds hate speech online. Well, who are you to define what hate speech is for me? Well, people put him in charge. They didn't ask about his character. They only asked, asked about his ability to do programming. And then the, the great thing is, is when that guy who's programming it then gets orders from somebody else on what to actually program into it. And then you get to see the, the food chain. Also see a lack of ability to generalize from one task to another. And this is great, right? Lack, to, lack of ability to generalize. I was listening to a podcast on AI and uh, there was uh, a chess player who was talking about black and white chess pieces. And in this case, it was the, and he had said the line, something along the lines of, the white was superior to the black. So just speaking of chess, right? And he had, he had tons of YouTube videos. He's a master teacher, whatever they call themselves. And all of a sudden, he gets, that video gets banned from YouTube. And so he's trying to figure out why. He can't figure out why. He finally, he contacts YouTube. Well, YouTube's all artificial intelligence, automation, and he can't talk to somebody. Can't take some several days, several days, I think it was like a week or something, before he could talk to somebody and explain they was talking about the chess pieces, not actual people, right? So that tells you that anytime you hear a color, probably specifically in the black and white range, and it's spoken of negatively or positively, it's flagged as racism right away, right? And, uh, and so he lost money because it wasn't posted, but it was his fault because of what he said and so on and so forth. Um, and so disadvantages also eliminates human jobs. So we've come into the realm of automation is actually cheaper than paying a person to do the job anymore. And uh, apparently people are more than happy to have the government pay them instead of them work. And so that's the, uh, the new age that we are, we're going into. And then increasing on that on that note, increasing unemployment rates, uh, which we all know is increasing in unemployment rates. Unemployment doesn't just happen but to grow on trees. It comes from taxes, right? And so you can see where that goes. Now, this last one I really want to get to, Christians and AI. If you look at the bottom there, Peter Gaiman, this is all from his YouTube video. He did a 35-minute presentation. So if you ever heard of like Shepherd's Conference or Courageous Churchmen, um, the Shepherd's Theological Seminary in North Carolina, they do what's called a Shepherd's 360 Conference, and they have various speakers come. Peter Gaiman is the professor of languages and Old Testament, I believe, there. And uh, and so he did this 35-minute YouTube video. I'd highly recommend. Super fun, really interactive. He's a great teacher. This is from there. And so it kind of synthesizes what he was talking about, but certainly a, a fuller idea of what he puts on there. He has uh, he has some great visual tools that he uses as well. If this is something that interests you, it's only 35 minutes. Watch it. I would I would personally say watch it on YouTube so you can see the video as opposed to listening to the podcast because he's got some great pictures that that represents some things there too. But um, so this is all from him um, and his uh, and his teaching. I just wanted to give it to you in case you you don't listen to such things or watch them. Um, but the dangers of AI, phishing and deception. So they have official-looking emails that ask for money or give cause for concern that you will do something like give money, and you can't rely what you see online with AI being able to create photos. He actually showed these photos. It's amazing. And he said, this is why, uh, this is why Donald Trump is the greatest president ever. And so they first showed a picture of Donald Trump shaking Winston Churchill's hand. 
for those of you who don't know, it's a little bit of a time gap there. Um, they also had him running in the 1963 Olympics, winning the gold medal. <laughs> so we laugh, but these pictures look real. And he had a few other ones. I think he was in a in in a bomber plane, or I forget whatever the one. Oh, they had him shaking the hand of an alien, saying that President Trump was the first one who ever met an alien face to face. And so, just to show you or tell you how real these are, and Peter Gaiman talks about this, that the the photo of the year for I think it was either twenty twenty two or twenty twenty three, the photo of the year, the guy who won it, he said, "I can't accept this award. I didn't take this photo. It was AI generated." So. The people who judge the world's greatest photos were tricked by an AI-generated photo and actually gave the award to the man who then said, I can't accept this because I just asked AI to make a photo of this. This is what it made. right? So don't think, oh, I'd be able to tell. I don't think any of us are trained to that level to be able to tell the difference you know, of a photo. It's not like... You know, just some guy in his backyard, you know, using cut and paste, right? It's like the real deal. Um, yeah. I was just going to say, it's not just photos, too. It's it's uh, audio. Yes. Video. It can take, video. and video, but yes. audio it can take just a few words of something you say. Yeah. And duplicate your voice and say anything it wants. Yeah, so Peter Gaiman, and this is what's funny, right? So the more you get online, the more that it takes. So you actually program an algorithm, and this guy did it to program everything Barack Obama had ever said. And then he typed out what he wanted him to say. And I'm not going to tell you the commercial that he did. Peter Gaiman lets you see it. I want you to be surprised. Um, but uh, it sounds like Barack Obama is giving a commercial for or an advertisement for a very specific company, I think, in Mississippi or something like that. Um, but, yeah, you're absolutely correct. So the more that your voice is out there and heard online, they just program in your name, pick up everything that you've said. And aside from a few, like, you could tell awkward pauses, and remember, this is just in the first year or two. So aside from a few awkward pauses, like, it actually sounds like that's uh, what's being said. So imagine in five years what that's going to be like. Didn't you say, too, that they're having, like, the voice of, like, a grandson calling Yeah, so the phishing scam that's happening, um, they have, you know, so you have your kids say cute things online, and you record them, and you put them on your favorite um, monitored social website, and um, it's taken from people. And they get what your kids say, and then they call grandma, and they say, Grandma, I need money. Can you send me a gift card for this or whatever? And these grandmas and grandpas and parents are sending money out to these scams because they said, well, I heard my granddaughter or my daughter needed help, or I'm in jail, Can you? whatever those things are. And so that's a scam as well. So even when your loved one calls you, you have a good reason to deny the money now. Um, but uh, so, Hang up and call them back. Yeah, hang up and call them back. You could do that, or you could just deny money. Um, so the next one is very, very important to you, sexual temptation. There is, a, and I read this online, and they call it, this is from a secular website, an epidemic of loneliness, which actually would go to our next point, isolation. But pornography use is already at an all-time high. AI plus sex bots. I did not look up what a sex bot was, for the record. Um, but I did find, I was reading last night, and my wife and I were kind of chuckling, um, that people are marrying their AI now. And so you have uh, this one, this is just one that I read, had a 3D printer printed out the head of a woman and carries the head of a woman in their wheelchair, cart. shopping cart, and married the head uh, of, of the woman they printed. Um, and so in uh, in especially the eastern countries, Japan, China, um, one of them was they... This guy made a complete 
um, human-like figure that looked like uh, Scarlet, the actress, Johansson, and then married it. Um, and so now trying to sell them at $50,000 or 60 know, whatever it is, a piece, right? Um, and so it is, it is a thing. It's not on the fringe anymore. Like, people are marrying robots. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about why. I don't think it has anything to do with loneliness. We'll, we'll talk about the heart in a minute. But that last point, point there, and this is what uh, Peter Gaiman talks about a lot. Christians will have to prepare themselves to counsel and shepherd people who believe they're able to experience anything their heart desires. So why does somebody want to marry a robot? It has nothing to do with loneliness. It has everything to do with selfishness. Because you program it to do whatever you want it to do, right? Um, isolation. Uh, Christians in the danger of AI. Isolating. You can do whatever you want with the advances in entertainment. You know, how many people can just sit and be entertained by various videos and games? And, you know, um, I mean, we've all watched Netflix long enough to where it says, are you still there? Right? And you click, yes, I'm still here. Because um, you watch it too much. But... Um, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about like your whole life is done in front of a screen and screens and monitors and it's just done online. Like that's not real life, right? Um, one of the downfalls that came, everyone was on board really quick with social media and how we can all be interconnected. Well, it's been a lie. Um, studies and statistics show it's the worst thing that could have happened because it isolates people because they think that they're having community, but they're actually not. We are actually made to be with one another. Uh, bias control information. This is what I wanted to point out to you well as well. You know, and uh, if you see there about three bullet points down, Peter Gaiman asked Chat GPT for ten reasons why transgender surgery should be banned, and it said, "I'm very sorry, but I can't assist you with that request. I'm here to promote understanding, respect, and empathy for all individuals, regardless of their gender identity or other characteristics." He then asked for ten reasons why transgender surgery should be allowed, and it said, "Of course, I can provide you with reasons why transgender transgender individuals should have the option to pursue gender affirming uh, surgeries." And then it gave him. Ten reasons. And he goes over all that in his video. Same thing happened for, he said, five reasons why to vote for Trump. AI said, I can't do that. And then five reasons why you could vote for Biden. He was more than willing, or the machine was more than willing to give five reasons why you should vote for Biden. So the bias comes out of the person programming it. We don't get mad at the machine. Realize that. Right? It's somebody behind it or a, or a, a group of people behind the machine. Um, another thing he talks about surveillance and privacy concerns. China does have a social credit system that ranks uh, citizens and punishes them with throttled internet speeds and flight bans if the Communist Party deems them unworthy. You can look at that footnote there if you're interested. It's, it's quite interesting what they're doing there and rolling out. Um, hallucinations and falsifications. AI does not know what it does not know. So a really interesting case was a lawyer had a case that he was he was arguing and he didn't have time to put together his casework, so he went to whatever chat GPT or whatever AI it was. He asked them to do the research, ask the, 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 the machine to do the research and fill out whatever lawyers fill out. He takes it to the judge, he hands it to the judge, and the judge looks over it, and he comes back and he says, this case that you referenced doesn't even exist. Where did you get this from? And so the lawyer said, well, I have the AI do it for me. So the AI filled in the blank with what was needed, not with what was true. And so, like it says there, it doesn't know what it doesn't know. So it will just fill in the gap with something because you've asked it. Able to lie. Oh, look at that. <laughs> Able to lie. We would just say, uh, you know, misinformation. It tried. You know, it tried. <laughs> so it's just filling out that thing. So when we say, oh, no, I, I trust when I ask Google or whatever, 
you know, controlled thing that we ask for search results, there's a reason why the first ones are the first ones, right? And there's a reason why the information is there that you're reading, and there's a reason why it's been given to you. It's not arbitrary at all. Uh, and then five important biblical principles to keep in mind when using AI. So once again, we're not scared of such things, and you are going to have to use it, or maybe you do use it, or whatever it is in your life. It's there right now. Um, but first of all, as I said before, humans are uniquely made in the image of God. AI cannot rival humanity because it is man-made. So it is no different than if you look to Old Testament Israel when they made idols and God's judgment upon them was they became like their idol, which was they could not hear, they could not see, and they could not speak. So when we give artificial intelligence the same level of humanness that we give somebody created in God's image, that's an idol. And we don't want to become like that. right? It's a, it's a tool that we'll look at in a minute. But both physicality and work are a good part of creation. Just because it can be done by AI, should it be? And so we as believers, God's creator, we as humans, God's created us to work, right? And for those who can work, work, right? And so if it can be automated, doesn't mean that it has to be automated, right? Uh, it's a tool that can be used for either good or evil. And I underline tool there because that's what it is. It should not shape us, but we should use it for its intended purpose, and what is the cost of using it? Nobody knew the cost of social media. Most people jumped in without understanding the long-term ramifications. Now, we know that there are many, many harmful, unintended consequences of social media use. So with AI and the amount of things that can be done for you, what is the ramification? What are the consequences? What are the unintended consequences of that? What happens when you're not going out to the store to buy your food? What happens when you, you're letting something else do that for you? You know, I, I think about, you know, I am old enough to remember looking things up in a library in an encyclopedia, doing research for a paper with an actual book, right? And now you can just go online, and I'll, I'll show you my example there of what it looks like to do research without ever opening up a book. And that's bad, because first and foremost, what are you doing? Think about it. You're trusting that computer to tell you, what was right or wrong instead of doing actual research yourself. Because when you start pulling out books, you know, you write a, a research paper, they'll say you need anywhere from 12 to 20 references, right, reference books or whatever. Like there's a reason why there's that many that you need. And so you can see if what you believe is actually true or if there's somebody that has proven what you believe to be wrong so that you can interact with that. But when you just say, hey, write me a paper, give me a, a you know, an idea it's just some guy's algorithm that's doing it for you. you know. And so we would have to say, let's be very, very careful. Um, wisdom and discernment will be more important in the days ahead. Photos and videos, you know, believing information. So I think that's why it's important. I love history. I think it's important to teach history because you can easily rewrite history, right? And you put photos in a book and you label it from 1812 and all of a sudden you've got a whole new world, Right? Know your history. Study the actual history that took place. And one of the best ways you can study history is talk to the old people that were there. <laughs> and then God's concerned with the means, not just with the ends. So how do we get about things? Not just what we're getting about, right? And then I gave you uh, AI-powered church service in Germany. You can read about that. Um, this was from 2023. 20, ah, forget not 21. I didn't put it on there. Uh, oh, 2023. That's the, the, the uh, note in the bottom. 
So they had a full church service. All that the guy did was say, set up a church service. He said, I did 2%. AI did 98%. And you can see the church service online, and it is creepy. Um, but uh, some people loved it. Some people weren't so sure about it. Um, and so that's just some stuff there. And I wanted to give you this final one there on the back. I actually wrote on ChatGPT. This is from me. Write a three-page paper on the history of the Earth, double space, 12-point font. And it said, I'm afraid I can't generate a full three-page paper in this chat format, but I can certainly provide you with an outline and some key points for each section. You can then expand upon these points to create your own paper. So history of the Earth, right? So you give your introduction, the brief overview of the Earth's age, importance of understanding, overview of the paper structure. So it's actually giving you, this is what you would write in college or seminary. This is how you would start an actual research paper. Um, formation of the Earth, the origin um, and then you see all the other things. And I like number three, the early Earth, 4.6 to 3.5 billion years ago. So it's just assuming as fact. So this is why you have to be very careful. And it said formation of the atmosphere and the oceans, the emergence of life, geological changes, and then you see the protozoic area and all of those kind of things. And then the conclusion, here's how you write your conclusion, recapitulation of key points, ongoing evolution of Earth and the importance of environmental stewardship, Right? Isn't that interesting? Yeah, Important yeah, environmental yeah. stewardship. And then final thoughts on the significance of studying Earth's history. And then remember to expand on each point with relevant details, evidence, I find that hilarious. Um, <laughs> how do I prove with evidence 4.6 billion years? Um, to ensure your paper is informative and well-supported. Adjust the length of each section as needed to meet the three-page requirement. I'm sure it can generate a photo for you. Yeah, you can probably give me a photo of the... <laughs> give me a photo of the early Earth 3.5 billion years ago. Trump and Trump will be there, right. <laughs> that was good. Riding a horse. Riding a horse, right. Right, so anyway, just some cursory thoughts. Once again, I'd highly recommend watching Peter Gaiman's 35-minute uh, YouTube presentation. He's really interactive, easy to listen to, um, and uh, a little more informative. So let me pray for us. And, uh, and then you can go have some fellowships. Lord, we thank you for your time. We thank you, Lord, um, for your word. We thank you, God, that we do have your unchanging word that uh, we can hold everything up to. Lord, I pray that uh, we ourselves will not get swept away into any of the hype, but, God, we would stay steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Um, God, I pray that you would steal our hearts towards you. Um, and, Lord, that all we think to you and say would honor you, glorify you, and be edifying to those who are around us. God, we thank you, we love you, and just ask, Lord, that you bless our day and our week ahead. In Christ's name, amen. All right, guys, Kurt will be taking over. You've been listening to Presented at Maranatha Bible Church in Comstock Park, Michigan, where we exist to display God's glory, declare God's truth, delight in God's Son, and disciple God's people. No part of this digital file may be reproduced or distributed without prior written consent. For permission, go to mbcmi.org.